0: Our focus scripture is Isaiah 28 through 33. Will you take your Bibles and turn there? And let's look at another aspect to God's character. Today's aspect is his chastening nature. And that's an interesting word, we don't hear it very much. It's not a chasing nature, okay? A lot of Christians, in fact, most Christians confuse chastening with chasing. As if God is chasing you down. I don't think God is chasing anyone. In fact, the Scripture says He's seated on the throne. Amen? He's not having problems finding you. This is not some spiritual version of 24. Are you with me? But God does chasten people. And the the meaning of the word chasten, the biblical root meaning is to train or discipline. Now that does involve some negatives sometimes. We call it punishment, but to be most frank with you, the word punishment is not even in the idea of the word chasten. It really includes discipline, training, instruction. We've kind of thrown in the idea of punishment because we feel like when things aren't going well, when God disciplines us, we think He's mad at us and that He's punishing us. The truth is God chastens everyone who belongs to Him, just like my parents did to me because I belong to them. And hopefully like your parents did to you because you belong to them. Your parents didn't train you because you messed up. Your parents trained you because you had their last name. Are you with me? You belong to them, and so that required them to train you, to discipline you, to use a very biblical word, to chasten you. And there were times I felt like my parents were chasing me, because my parents weren't God, are you with me? (laughs) They probably were chasing me sometimes. Most of the time they caught me, by the way. Those times are what I call, uh, uh, those were woes in my memory. Like, whoa, man, that was some serious discipline, you know. And I'll be honest with you, I think when you're a kid, that's about the way you remember discipline. You remember it as like, whoa, my parents got me this time. Or It, it has a whoa feel to it, you know. It's not till you get older that the woes turn into a wow. That's what my parents were up to. Are you with me? I now mean, I don't know a 12-year-old yet who's ever said, mom, dad... Thank you so much for that discipline. It's really going to pay off later. No, because that's the role of the parent. You know, puberty turns kids into a whole different creature for a while. And they don't see it that way. And some of our problems in our culture is we have parents acting like kids. So no one has the courage to see long distance. Which means we really don't train or chasten or discipline. And so we're left with kids who become 18, 21, who have no training. And they're wondering, man, what did... And then they're resentful of their parents. Why didn't you? And why didn't you do this? And that's another whole series of messages. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Discipline at the moment seems like a woe. But in the end it becomes a wow. And that's the spirit behind Isaiah twenty-eight through thirty-three. Will you turn there? You're probably already there, aren't you? Let me show you this passage from a from a plane first, kind of an overview, a flyby, can we? In fact, you want to take these notes because you'll be able to see these later, maybe in your small group or maybe in your personal study. There are five woes in these six chapters. In Isaiah 28-33, through 33, there are five woes. In other words, judgments. And you can see them pretty much introduced in these Scriptures here. Uh, most of them are the very first verse of, of different chapters. Now, I want to say something. There are other times the word woe is mentioned. These aren't the only times the word woe is mentioned. But these seem to be the predominant times that the word woe introduces a new thought. Okay, So be aware of that. These are five major woes in this section of, of, of chapters. They introduce judgments. They introduce things that God is going to do to people, primarily to different nations, primarily to Judah, Jerusalem, and Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. That's a historical context for these chapters. But if you follow the, the thread of these woes, you'll find that to each woe, there is a corresponding wow. There are five wows as well. And the five wows are passages in which God says, Okay, I had to do this, or this happened. It was negative. It was discipline. It seemed like punishment to you. But I had to do that in order to bring about this. And He talks about a blessing. He talks about the positive side. Those are what I call the five wows. So that kind of gives you an overview of these chapters. They are full of woes and they are full of wows. Does that not speak of parenting and child today? <laughs> I mean, there are times it's woeing and then there are times it's wowing. And you need both. Biblical chastening, true discipline, God's nature contains both. He does what is necessary to bring about the best in us. And one of the passages that, that I think is primary in these chapters is Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 29. I'm going to have you focus on this wow passage this morning. It is similar to the other wow passages, so I think we'll just stay right here, because it will give you probably a, a glimpse into what God is doing with, with Judah and Jerusalem, as well as with the nations. It's, it's, it's a picture of how God operates so as you look at other wow passages, you'll see some of the same things running through them, okay? I want us to focus strictly on Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 29. And if you would find that in chapter 28, and let's just be ready to take some good notes and hear what God says to us about His chastening nature. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 28, verse 23. Isaiah writes, he says, Listen, hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Four times He calls for your attention. That's a lot, isn't it? Is everybody listening up? Got your ears on? We're going to learn something about God's nature. About how He brings us to a place of blessing. Isaiah gives an agricultural illustration quite apropos for Iowa, wouldn't you say? Verse 24, When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? And the rhetorical question there deserves what answer? No. It is a plow forever. Does He keep on breaking up and harrowing the soil? You might want to underline the word plow, the word breaking up, the word harrowing. It's all the same concept, but God is being very um, um, uh, distinct here in the words He uses. He's trying to show that there's a definite process. There's, There's a definite order and design to His work. Just as a farmer has a definite order and design to his work, he says, when he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? Do you see those words? And you see the way God uses different words to describe the process. Let me walk this through. I'll walk through you through this a little more carefully. He talks about plowing, breaking up, harrowing, and leveling. Do you see those different words? And then he talks about sowing. Scattering, planting, and placing. Do you see those words? So God is using multiple words to talk about a definite uh, process of order. A definite design in what He's doing. In fact, look what He says in the last part of verse 25. He plants wheat in its place. Here's another set of words. Barley in its plot and spelt in its field. And even more insightful is what these words and these different seeds were. As you know, caraway and, and cumin were, were both, um, cumin's kind of an aromatic herb. Um, caraway is uh, somewhat of a condiment. It's a seed. You kind of crush it and you make a condiment out of it, at least in that culture. The word wheat in verse 25 speaks of their primary um, harvest, which they use for flour and stuff. Barley and spilt were both kind of like uh, second-rate generic things. They were used mainly for animals. But it's interesting that God says no matter what He's planting, I mean, He's not just um, indiscriminately scattering stuff and hoping for the best, is He? God knows exactly what's being planted. He knows where it's being planted, and He knows how to plant it. Verse 26, His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. In other words, there's an analogy here made to the farmer that takes a lot of care and and he's processed and he's orderly in how he goes about it. In other words, that's how God goes about bringing fruit from your life. Are you listening, church? He doesn't just hope for the best and say, well, good luck, Jeff. God is intentionally in an orderly fashion displaying His character in your life. He knows just where to plant what seed. Verse 27. He now moves to the think thing, what is part two of this agricultural illustration. And he says, "Caraway is not threshed with a sledge. He talks now about not the planting process, but I guess about the tending or the reaping. It's not threshed with a sledge, and nor is a cartwheel rolled over a In other words, not every seed demands the same process. A sledge was a large board, and it was studded. And often the the mules or the oxen would drag that over um, uh, certain kinds of seed or certain types of ground to get it ready. But you didn't do that to all types of seed. You didn't do that to every type of seed. Uh, of a growth, because that would be too hard for some. Look what he says. Uh, caraways beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. In other words, this type of, of seed needs a little softer approach. Maybe you beat it on a threshing floor. You don't bring the oxen in to trample over it. Probably crush it, it would be of no value. Look at verse 28 grain must be ground, but guess what? The end result of ground grain is what? Bread. In God's not grinding grain to say, Hey, grain, I won. God's got a purpose for the grain. Guess what it is? yummy bread. He says, So one does not go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over, speaking there again of those oxen and the cart that may carry different tools that a farmer would use, he said, You know what? There's a place in a certain type of seed that demands a, a more intense type of, of, of reaping and, and threshing and tending. But he said, not forever. The horses do not grind it. And then he says, look, look at this. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. That verse really sums up the, uh, part two. And if you'll notice, verse 26 and verse 29 are very similar. They speak of how God is overseeing the process of discipline. And verse 29 says very clearly, look what it says. This kind of process, this this work that God does is wonderful and magnificent in wisdom. You see the word wisdom there? It's the only time this word is used in Isaiah. The only time. It's only used 11 times in the Old Testament. And it, it actually means soundness or completeness. In other words, God's process of bringing fruit from a life is very sound, it's whole, it's complete, it's wise, it's great. When God works in your life to bring fruit from you, even though at the time it seems difficult, guess what? God is displaying His wisdom and His greatness. His character, His chastening character is coming out when He's bringing the best from you, even when that seems hard. That's how awesome God is. That's how great He is. Now see, that doesn't gel with us very well. No American likes that agricultural concept of God. We'd much rather have a microwave God. God, can we do this in 30 seconds, please? But God's chasing nature. God's chasing nature is such that He knows when to start, how to work, And when to stop. Are you with me? He's not needing your advice or my approval. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's the perfect parent and the perfect farmer. And he will bring from your life and my life the fruit that's needed at the time it's needed. Isn't God awesome? Isn't his chastening nature um, uh, comforting? So that God's not going to, and I use this phrase, it's not, not, it's not totally correct, but in other words, God's not going to beat us down forever in, in the sense of threshing seed or, or plowing. His goal is not to, to trample over you. His goal is to bring fruit from your life. And He will, by the way, one way or the other. Amen? I learned something from this text in Isaiah 28. I want you to read it with me. It's a simple sentence. But it really speaks to God's character and it shows me what He's up to. Can you read this with me? Let's read it with great passion as we think about our great God. Ready? God chastens not to punish, but to perfect. His discipline is productive, not punitive. Now remember, it seems punitive to you. Because you and I, we have a finite mind our perspective is skewed it's skewed by the sinful nature and it's skewed by our own selfish wants and desires so it seems as if God is punishing us but the truth is God's work is always it's always designed to be productive to perfect us that's his chasing nature In fact, I've said this for years and I'll say it again today. God's not mad at you. Can I say that again to you? God's not mad at you. He took His wrath out on His Son on Calvary. God's not mad at you. God is committed to you. He's committed to you enough that we're If you are an unbeliever, He wants to draw you to Himself. And He will call you to a place of response to His sovereign grace. He will. That's why sometimes people will write me an email and say, I'm very uncomfortable at your church. I usually ask, you want to give me some information on that? Tell me why, you know? Well, I get convicted when I'm there. I feel like... God is wanting me to do something or I feel like you really want me to believe that He's the only way and I've been told this and that and all I can say to them is, you know what? Um, your response to the Word of God and to God's convicting um, work in your life is probably an issue between you and God. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you, but I'm not. I'm just kind of delivery boy. I'm not in right the message. Are you with me? See, see, God will draw you and He wants you to respond to Him. And if you are a believer... God will draw you and He'll work with you until you bring the fruit He's desiring. If His seed is in your life, it will bring forth fruit. I'm reminded of, uh, when I was studying this, I was reminded several times of different instances in my childhood about how I thought training was so negative. I thought my parents were punishing and chasing me it seemed crazy then, you know. Often when I would get in trouble, my parents would have had me write letters of apology to the people that I have that I wronged. I still think that's why I like to write today. You know, what I mean my parents put that in me by writing apology letters to everyone. I remember one year as a junior in high school, I got kicked out of this retreat, I was in my church and the youth pastor took me to my house at two in the morning and my dad opened the door and He said, this is your son, and we just had some issues, and so he really belongs at home now. And I'm like, I really don't belong at home, if you don't mind. That's what I'm thinking. And so the next few days, we processed all that, and I spent a ton of time at my desk in my room writing to the security people at my school and the principals at my school, my pastors. I mean, there was no room for anything, but you will make this right, you know. Um, But I I thought of several instances that I thought, you know, but back in those, I hated that, you know, going to people one-on-one and, try and having to apologize and going to my sisters and um, just different things. Um, but looking back, I'm very thankful that in a, in a culture where everyone's looking to blame someone, my parents instilled in me always start with the mirror. Are you with me? So now I'm like, man, wow, mom and dad, that was an awesome woe you put me under. And it's not always negative. It's not always a punishment thing. Uh, you may find this surprising, but as I grew up, it was part of our, our training and part of the requirements of the school I attended as well, but my parents were not board with this, to uh, open the doors for ladies. It was required. In other words, if you were near a girl and there was a door nearby and she was going the same way you were, you opened the door for her. Um, and we just were taught certain manners, words like uh, yes, no. I know some folks say yes, sir, that's fine. But we just were told, you know what? When an adult speaks to you, you stand up and you look him in the eye. And you talk to them. If they ask you a question, you say yes. You say no. You don't look around or mumble or make fun of adults. And so we were kind of taught some of these basic manners things. And you may think that's simple, but by the way, that doesn't come naturally. Hey, parents, if you're not teaching your children, that's right, at five. Four seven. That when someone talks to them to just stand and look them in the eye and answer a question, that doesn't come naturally. The Adam complex comes naturally. Run away and hide. <laughs> Are You with me? And so there were certain things we were taught that looking back, I was like, man, I don't want to open the door for this girl, you know, something like that. And and you, you think you you feel stupid or you know, I don't want to. When a girl in his room or a lady, you had to stand up. There were things that we were taught that aren't necessarily biblical, but they taught. They were discipline measures. Looking back, it's given me a really good value, uh, you know, for chivalry. It's given me an appreciation for what it means to be a man. And, and I'll tell you something those were things that I look back and I think, wow, for the woe. That's the idea behind God's chastening. His discipline is to produce something in our life. It's to bring forth fruit. Let me give you a verse in the Old Testament that really um, echoes this same thing. Just turn a few pages to your right to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. This verse is used out of context probably more than any Old Testament verse I know. Uh, people claim it because they want God to put His hand of blessing upon their crazy dream or their idea, you know, to make a million dollars about tomorrow morning or something. But this verse really speaks to God's intention for the nation of Israel and Judah and also the city of Jerusalem. Look what he says in Jeremiah 29. It speaks of God's ultimate purpose, not His overnight fix. Could I hear an amen on that one? Are you with me? It speaks to God's ultimate purpose. This verse tells us more about God's character than it does about His immediate action in regards to your checking account. Okay? Jeremiah 29, 11. Look what this verse says. An echo of Isaiah 28. God says here, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Yes, it is God's ultimate goal to bring forth fruit for you. And, and, and with, in regards to Israel and Judah, Jerusalem, to protect them, to land them in Zion one day. Remember the day of uh, that's coming, the day of restoration? God will protect them. He'll take care of them. He'll be everything they need. He'll prosper them. He will give them a, a hope and a future. Do you see the character of God coming out in the verse... The character of God is that when this verse is written, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. He was much like Isaiah, speaking terrible news to people who didn't want to listen. But he's saying, Listen, I know it looks awful now, but God's intent is not to destroy you or harm you. God's intent is to prosper you, to bring you to a place of, of, of fruitfulness. Just hang in there. God's not mad at you, He's not crushing you for no purpose. And trust in the character of God is what gets us through times that feel and seem crushing. Are you with me? Let me take you one more scripture just to really verify and support the Old Testament concept of God's chastening nature. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Marty read from this earlier. A wonderful passage about God's chastening nature, about his spiritual parenting of us. Hebrews 12, I'll just pick up in verse 7. And if there's any passage that clarifies that chastening is not a punishment issue, it's this passage. Look at verse 7 of Hebrews 12. And let's hear Isaiah ringing through the words here that the writer of Hebrews penned for us. Look what he says, Hebrews 12, 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Do you see that? God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Isn't that amazing? I find that people, they don't readily admit to the chastening of God. And if we translated what they were saying based on the Bible, it would be like saying, I'm not really sure I belong to God. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, church? Listen very carefully. A lot of times we're like, man, I don't want to... No, God, man, He's no problem, man. God's not messing with me, really. Do you really belong to Him? Because this verse says, there is no son that God does not discipline, train, chase, and work with. And that comes after the phrase about hardship. In other words, there are times when it's just plain rough. Now, God doesn't bring that on us in a way that's bringing evil upon people. But God does allow things. And He brings difficult times because He knows they'll produce the fruit we need. James 1 talks about this. And if you're, if you're thinking, man, the closer I get to God, the better it's going to get. You might want to reexamine your biblical view of spirituality and closeness to God. Because if you belong to Him, He will discipline you. If He's not disciplining you, don't rejoice in that. Examine to see if you're in the faith. Let's read on. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline. Here's a repeat of that again then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now listen to these next few verses. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us. Don't you love that phrase? I mean, the writer here seems to say, almost in a funny way, hey, we've all had that. We know what that's like, don't we? And we respected them for it. We didn't like it. We didn't rejoice. Notice the word there. But we respected them, right? How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? implication being, if you reject God's discipline, you will die. So what does that say about God's character? If you respect God's uh, discipline, if you respond to it, it brings forth life and fruit. To reject God's discipline, to say, you know what, God, I'm tired of this part of your character, is to sign your death warrant. Spiritually, it's the way to destruction. But responding to discipline, even hardships... Is the way to life. Verse 10, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Another phrase that really tells us about our humanity. I mean, how many dads here feel that way? You do it for a little while as you think best. I mean, even this week, a couple of times I'm like, God, I hope this is the right thing to do. I mean, you, you, you take the Word, you obey its principles, but sometimes your kids, are, they're all so different and there's so many variables, you're like, God, I'm, I wanna, I'm giving it my best shot here. You know? I mean, that verse is comforting, isn't it? Fathers, we do it for a little while as we think best. And what he's what he's showing is that as a contrast between our own finiteness as human fathers and God's divine infinite and infinite wisdom as a spiritual father. He never messes up. He doesn't do what he thinks is best and hope for for maybe it will work out good. He knows what's best and he does what's best in an orderly process. God bats a thousand. Amen. He says here they did it. We may, God, this was us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen. No discipline seems uh, like a joyous thing. But later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. The word chain there is the Greek word for champions. I'm amazed at how many kids, how many adults would say, man, I want to be a champion. I want to have the life of a champion. But hey, God, don't make it hard on me. The two don't go together. If you want to be a champion, a spiritual champion, brace yourself. God can turn you into that. But it won't be easy. If you want champion style kids, you better brace yourself for... Rough years, because parenting isn't for cowards, amen? And it takes the heart of a lion and the the wings of an eagle sometimes to nurture and yet train children so that when they leave your nest, they are champion-style kids. The key is discipline. It's the key to our spiritual life. It's the key to to our, our physical human life. Discipline pays off And that's the heartbeat of God's chasing nature Not that He's trying to hurt you or crush you He's not mad at you The heart of God is Hey, I'm going to get the very best from you I can That seems difficult now But hang in there with me I've got your best interest at heart And I can work all things together for good Hear Romans 8, 28 coming out? Hear that? I can work everything together for good To those who love me And by the way that promise is for those who love God. I don't personally believe. My theology does not believe, allow me to believe that unbelievers can lay claim to that. Now, do things work out for those who don't believe? Possibly. And ultimately, God's plan for the nations is sovereign. He will work His ultimate purpose. But you know what? In individual microcosms of, of what we see, sometimes those who don't love God, just, things just don't work out. Because they don't respond to God's chastening nature in the right way. And so they don't live as Hebrews 12. says. Are you with me? Hey guys, let me share with you something very important. I made this note even just this morning as I was praying some earlier and thinking about how I could say this. Listen very carefully. The sign, one of the signs of an unbelieving heart could be a wrong response to discipline. Are you hearing me? I mean, if God disciplines all of His children, if we know that's true, and those who are His children receive it and bring forth fruit, if you consistently fight against God's work as your spiritual father, are you really one of His children? It may be a question all of us should ask. Because the promise of God's chastening nature, that He will always bring what's best, is to His children. It's to his sons and daughters. Are you with me? This is hard for me to say, but I want to be honest with you, intellectually honest with you. can make this mean something it doesn't. If you have chosen to resist God and reject Him, if you said, you know what, I don't believe, I didn't ask you if you went to church or if you are a good person, you respected your employer, you gave money to good cause, I didn't ask any of that. But if you have refused to believe that Christ is the only way to, to God, and to embrace the gospel as then what happened then, I want to tell you something. You have no assurance that hard times will work for your benefit. And if you're going through a very difficult time, like time right now, that's a chance you don't want to take. Is that okay to say? If you're under the cartwheel, the sledge, the plow... If you're in the planting and the threshing, if God is doing that, respond in the right way. Let the work of God have its full effect. That's the first sign that you really belong to Him. And if in that, in these last two or three minutes, you've realized, you know... I... That's the issue. All these years, I thought God was mad at me and I've been pushing Him away because I think He's trying to get me. And the truth is, He's just trying to bring forth freedom. He's got my best into the heart. Yes, okay, I'll respond to God then. Here's what I do. I would settle the belief issue first. Respond to God and believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and then watch Him do what only He can do. Take hardship and trials and use them to make you a champion. That's what God does. His chastening nature makes us champions. It's not punitive. It's productive. It's not meant to punish, but to perfect us. You see, even in difficult times, suddenly God's nature rings true as, as, and I use these words in the right way, as loving and just. God! He's not some mad, angry man with a cane. He's a sovereign ruler who independently acts as he chooses and can can work even the hardest of things out for the benefit of his children. That's why it really pays to belong to God. Amen? Can I say that again to you? It pays to belong to God. So my question is this. First, do you belong to God? That's a question only you can answer. Perhaps your mind is asking right now, well, Todd, how do I belong to God? I I would like to. I don't think I do. Belonging to God is a matter of belief. When God calls people, He showers them with His grace, undeservedly so. Our only response is to say, Lord, I believe that that you are the only way to heaven. And that your death, burial, and resurrection satisfied God the Father forever. And so I believe in the name of Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, the only way to heaven. I believe. That's how you belong. I've told you this more than a hundred times, but I'll say it again today because there are people here who don't know this and they're they're new. I was 14 years old. My responded to God's grace in my life. He was drawing me to himself and I responded by saying, God, I believe and I embrace the gospel as the only way to be saved. A few weeks ago, there was a lady in the front row here named Nikki. She was invited by Jamie. Remember Jamie? You invited your neighbors. She raised her hand and said, Todd, this morning, I believe. That morning she became a Christian. There are folks all in this room who at some point in their life can go to a point and say, you know what? I today believe in the grace that God has revealed to me in his son of Jesus Christ. That's how they belong to God. And then they're assured of the promise that that God's changing nature will always work to their benefit. That's how God operates. That's the benefit of being a son or a daughter. If you know you belong, I have one last application point. Stop whining about the training. What you're asking God to do is say, Okay, God, you know what? Just let me be a lazy, third-place Christian. Hey, God, I'm fine with the consolation prize. That's what you're saying. So, from pastor to church member, in a kind way, stop whining about the training. Just cut the criticism. You like it when I talk that way, don't you? Just real blunt, right? I mean, just, just, just stop complaining. Yeah, you know, I've learned that it's tight on everybody every month. you know that? Everybody's car is breaking down. Washers, dryers, bills, kids. You're really not that different. So stop whining about the training and instead be thankful. Say, God, this is awesome that you're bringing this hardship. You must know I've got champion in me. Thank you, Jesus. It resonates with what Paul said. In everything, give Thanks. Well, Paul didn't really mean everything. That Greek word actually means... a Yeah, baloney. The Greek word means exactly what it says. Everything! And do you see the whole biblical picture here? Because God is bringing... He's birthed you. And since you belong to Him, He's going to discipline you. Because He needs a set of champions who will show His character to the nations. To those who don't belong to Him. And so when tough things happen... We're not the first to say, man, what kind of God we got up there? Instead, we're like, man, what an awesome God that even in times like this, He's bringing out the best in me. Go, God, stop whining and be thankful. I trust we can make this application as soon as we're done here. Amen? We should hear the difference in the foyer. The folks coming in for 10.30 should say, man, what happened to you? They say, man, God is chastening me. He's chastening our whole church. They're first to really, that's bad. No, man, that's awesome. That means we belong to Him. He's a great dad. And just be thankful. That's the attitude that should come from us when we see the true chastening nature of God. It's seen in Isaiah, Proverbs. It's seen in Romans. It's seen in Hebrews, Jeremiah. God has your best interests. Let's respond As true children. Amen. Let's pray.